Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is November 4th. I am coming to you live from my, my bedroom. It's, it's Austin Walker. Joining me today, as always, Patrick Klepik. Yo. And Danielle Riendo. Hi, how you doing? Okay, well, she's <laughs> wait, still... Wait, is this a... Are we role-playing? <laughs> hey! Okay. I don't even know what the voice okay. is. I don't know. I lost the... You lost, I've lost all my voices. Because Dag has moved on to a different... <laughs> to an ethereal plane. For people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, we launched the website last week. <laughs> I, and then right now, if you don't know what we're talking about, you must be even more confused. You're just thinking, how could these accents be be coming up from the launch of the website. Uh, Danielle and Patrick and, and Danica, our social editor, had their first uh, tabletop role-playing game experience. Oh. And it was a, a beautiful thing. Uh, Adam Coble, uh, the, the lead or the co-designer on Dungeon World, came on via Skype and ran us a game. Um, there will be archives of everything we did during the 72-hour live stream available starting, I believe, on Monday. Uh, and that's also just why we didn't do any podcast last Friday or, or the past Monday, because we were streaming for 72 straight hours <laughs> Which, i think that's a reasonable excuse yeah i think so too how, how are y'all doing <sighs> i'm good that was a well, long sigh that was a long sigh <laughs> patrick well i i'm assuming you're you're doing okay because of the cubs that must have given you some life true yeah life, you know yeah um you know the the prospect of going from 72 hours with very little sleep to returning immediately to a newborn with very little sleep um it, it was it was a destructive element in my psyche but the cubs who also actually you know what yeah sure i'm happy now but if if you watched that game seven it was yeah. one of the most stressful experiences of my life one of the greatest games of baseball i'm not gonna pretend to be like an, a huge baseball fan but i uh, you know i feel good about the consensus on that game after the fact from what i've read and uh it was extremely stressful but yeah go cubs you did it yeah we did it i, I was an active participant you, yeah you know, that's how sports me, works they, <laughs> they felt me through the tv uh and uh yeah no I am I'm I'm flying high I'm very happy for for the Cubs and that fan base but uh yeah I'm I feel I feel better than folks like Danica feel who are <laughs> got sick after Danica got strep throat yeah um which actually I'm you know what knock on wood I'm going to oh, knock on cuz it's actually shocking that more of us have not gotten sick cuz it's you know yeah. things like PAX things like E3 like moments in which you exhaust yourself physically and aren't you know I know Danielle you took care of yourself probably the best of any of us <laughs> Danielle was doing workout routines but, yeah, I was, constantly. I was on the deck doing shadow boxing like every morning. It was uh it was special. <laughs> but I also almost got sick. Like on the first night, I actually felt really bad. I remember. Like, I almost fainted. I actually had to go lie down. So it was one of those things where, you know, I, I think the best thing out of this entire experience was that everybody had each other's back yeah. and everybody was happy to have each other's back. And that was like really great and it helped keep everything posy and like yeah, taking care of yourself during one of these things is is not easy, but it's very important. <laughs> totally. It's one of those things, too, where, like, it would be so easy to give in to all of the things around you. Like, I'm going to have 12 cups of coffee today. I'm going to have three hamburgers. <laughs> I'm going to just live on, on like, grease and, and sugar. And, like, no, don't. You can't. You can't do that and do 72 hours. Yeah. So I think we all kind of paced ourselves and made sure not to, like, overindulge in Halloween goodies or the burgers that were all around us or, or anything. Like, we all kind Shakes. of... I, yeah, I think I had three cups of coffee all weekend, which which I don't know how I managed that, but we got through it. And and again, like if you missed that, please go watch the archives. Shoutouts to I can't fall into a shoutouts hole because because I did <laughs> take two we did, hours. We yeah. literally did thirty minutes of shoutouts at the end of the the show um, because we we had that many people to say thank you and, to. and couldn't play any more video games. Also, we, we played seventy. We played we played seventy two games, but we'd also return to some of them. So we played yeah. seventy two straight hours of games. It was great. Uh, so thank you so much if you joined us, and thank you to the chat who was really like 
I don't say like well behaved because you're not children, but like yeah, that's was, not, that's, yeah, it's easy to be condescending, but it also is true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there was lots of great conversation and great support from the chat and great support from people on Twitter. There's been fan art. It's you know a little overwhelming in in, in the best possible way. So so thanks so much for that. But then we moved on. Then it was a new week, um, <laughs> and in in some ways, you know, here here at the the digital pyramid. Shout out to, to the chief key for. Re- for <laughs> temporarily rebranding us, or at least rebranding our world, uh, the digital pyramids. Um, we we still have other things that we have to we had to get to. Um, I, I, did you play any games this week, guys? I I have played a, a, at least a deep. Uh, I'm pretty deep into the campaign on Titanfall two. Titanfall 2's campaign is super good. Um, Titanfall you know, t- campaign. Gonna, uh, it, I, mm, it's so good, Patrick. I mean, it's good. I don't. It's it's. How far I mean, in are you? Uh, well, I just played the level that I'm pretty sure you wanted me to play, and yeah. I don't want to say what that was because there's a trick. There's a trick. There's it's it's the level where you press L1 and things happen, yes. right? Yes. You yeah. get a, you get to press L1 to blank prompt, and it's it's done with like it's like a mic drop, like eh, like yeah, here press L1 to do this thing. Um, and then they build a level around it, and I think that, that that speaks a little bit to what the developers were talking about on the stream, which is the each level has almost like Super Mario Galaxy or something, um, or like uh, Super. What's the the most recent Super Mario 3D World? Super Mario 3D World, yeah. Uh, like, oh, this is the gimmick for this level. This is the mechanic that we're going to roll out for this level, and then we're going to move on. Uh, it reminds me of like old good Mega Man levels, also of like, oh, okay, this is this is. You know, Flashman stage. It's going to be turning dark and having these beams chase me or whatever. I think it was Quickman. Like, oh, this is this is you know the Airman stage. I'm going to have to jump on stuff in, that's floating in the air. Um, and it does that stuff really well. And then it's like, okay, time to move on. Like you did that thing. You got through that section, and now we're going to move on to something new. And and that is really refreshing because I've played so many games that go the other way, which which is like, oh, we're going to keep piling on new mechanics one after another. And by the end of the game, it's going to be this big mess of stuff. And sometimes people can execute on that really well. And it's like, oh, I have 12 different things I can do. And if I execute them all you know, perfectly, I have this really great moment. But sometimes they drop the ball and it's just like, oh, this is just a mush of, of abilities I'm never going to use again. I think that's true. Uh, I think the one thing I found... Uh, which may be uh, not disappointing as much as just a missed opportunity that they appear on the periphery on the edges to have this really interesting world that mm-hmm. they hint at. And um, like they don't they don't even set up the basic conflict in this game. Like if you've played the original and I guess if you, you, you know, have read a wiki, I mean, I guess you understand why these two factions are fighting. But Titanfall 2, which should have acted as though it was a reset for a lot yes. of people in terms of coming into this universe, does doesn't even attempt to explain why these two sides are fighting, except that, well, there's this one group called the Militia, and they're the bad guys. And, well, those, and, those uh, are the good the, ones. The, the good ones, the IMC. So that, that's how little <laughs> I know the difference between the IMC and the Militia, is that they, it's just sort of there. And that's fine. Like, it's uh, if, if it's if this game is just set up to be, like, a backdrop yeah. that allows you to, you know, have some, some fun uh, with the mechanics, uh, it's fine. But it's the problem is, I think... Or I guess like why I call it a missed opportunity is that there's they could have done a lot more with this to they make have great the weightier moments books. even weightier. Yeah, there's like there's a lot here. They just don't do a whole lot with it. And I'm part of that I think is because the stuff that happens later in the game doesn't carry as much weight because you have no sense of the consequences uh or the stakes from the beginning. There is a way too long audio log in the level you just passed, you just finished. Um, okay. that includes the like leader of the this this general martyr or whatever. Um, M-A-R-D-E-R, not M-A-R-T-Y-R, but I'm sure they were. That's good. Uh, who kind of gives his spiel, which is like, a, it's not a good, sp- it's like a good abstract spiel. Like his, 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 his like logic makes sense as a villain logic at the abstract sense, but it's strung together in a way that's really not good. Like it's not, no one's, no villain speaks like that even. Do you know what I mean? It's not even like nobody speaks like that, but like he doesn't have the right, <laughs> he's jumping. It feels like he was written in blocks and the blocks were then put together in the same way that the levels were. It doesn't yeah. work for words the way it works for levels. And like his basic case is like, Oh, there are way more people at the core planets. There are like no people out here at the frontier, and the people at the frontier can produce enough resources to feed and and give energy to everybody at the core planets. And also, 
people res- like people respawn very quickly in this world. People people uh, uh, repopulate very quickly, so it doesn't matter if a bunch of people die. Like, and that's the case he makes. It's like human life is replaceable. Like we, the only way we feed billions and billions of people is to be utilitarian about this. But it's hidden in an audio log in a game that doesn't ever signal that it has any audio logs. And I think no, only- they just they just show up in that one stage out of like I stumbled upon an audio log and went wait. Have I played five hours of a game and, and, and just missed all of them? Like, I've been finding these little pilot collectibles. You know, I'm exploring the environment. Like, did I somehow completely miss? Because actually, the, the, um, I had this experience in Battlefield 1 where Battlefield 1 has a bunch of collectibles. And I got to the end, and there are like 60 of them. And I found two. And I don't know how that's po- – like, like I, it seems like they are probably poorly placed in the environment if – I've beaten the game and only found two, two. of them. Yeah, that's um, not many. Well, do you, so are you I, the kind of player who likes to go around and, like, look at stuff once you've killed everybody? Or are you, like, mainlining? Are you like, all right, I'm, I'm getting in the next part? Like, I'm, I, I look up until the moment that I become annoyed that I'm looking, sure. if that makes any <laughs> sense. Which is, like, I enjoy collectibles to the point of... Uh, of reason and then when it becomes sort of a task then then i move on and it's why i appreciate in games that give you an opportunity to like spend points on an upgrade that just shows you kind of where they are on the environment like even if it's just generally speaking like if you just point me an arrow in a direction it's like it's kind of over here i'll spend 20 minutes looking for it but i'm not if i have a giant environment especially when they, you know, you let's say you go around a corner and then a door closes. Like, is the thing I'm looking for ahead of me mm-hmm. or is it behind me? And when games don't cue you into that stuff, then I consider your collectibles expendable because uh, <laughs> partially due to the fact that I only <laughs> tend to play games once, uh, I have to sort of build in the efficiency on that first playthrough. Yeah. And if you don't give me the tools to do that, uh, and I realize that's slightly unique for what I do. Like a lot of people are going to play Titanfall 2's campaign three or four times and have no problem sweeping through and finding the rest of that stuff. But for me, it's, yeah, once it becomes work. Um, and the thing is, too, with Titanfall uh, 2's uh, collectibles, the um, these little pilot uh, uh, helmets that are scattered throughout the environment, they're awesome because they're exactly what I want from collectibles, which are they force me to do these crazy yeah. platforming challenges that you otherwise don't have to do in the game at all. But if you want to engage with that, you have to use the mechanics and manipulate the environment in a way that the game otherwise doesn't ask you to do. And because platforming is sort of my favorite uh, sort of mechanic in games, like generally speaking, like platformers are my favorite genre, like an opportunity to engage with that and look at a world, uh, an environment and go, there's no way to get up there. And then slowly piece that together. Yeah. Like, ugh, like I wish that there was just really a thousand good. more of them. I would, I would take a platforming challenge mode in this game where it's just a hundred oh, level like mirror's platform. edge like mirror's like, edge yes. had some of those like totally. oh my god yeah I, because I, the movement is so good and so crisp and and i fucking i don't believe i just said the word crisp well like when i say the word crisp what i mean is intention and effect are paired uh like normally there is there is i'm fighting controllers especially in first person platforming like especially when someone asks me to jump in first person um but here and i think it's because there is like let me put on my designer hat for a second. There's a, the player is given a lot of of elbow room, a lot of leeway to fuck up and then recover and zero in on on what they want to achieve. So like if you over jump with your first jump, you have that double jump, and if you miss if you miss on that double jump, then you can land on the a side of a wall and bounce off of that and recharge your double jump again. And so like by giving you all of that extra you know room to fuck up and then zero like kind of dial it in, you end up feeling really um, great and eventually develop the skills to just do fantastic things there, there's stuff that's not even in the single player uh, campaign it's like the grappling hook where i will be playing in multiplayer and just achieve something that i'm like i wish this i wish i had a quick button to have recorded the last 20 seconds of my of gameplay because that's how fucking cool the thing that just happened was i didn't even i got killed at the end of it but it was still cool as hell you know like <laughs> that's that and that is is uh, really overwhelming and the other thing i just say before we move on is they have these levels that are all like this is based on a gimmick. This is based on a gimmick. This is the this is the press L to do this. This is the one where you're slowly like moving through an automated factory. That's all you know. You're so you're moving from platforms that are moving around and again and again they do all this stuff. And then the kind of like climactic level is just the action. It's just like and you'll get there, Patrick. And I'm spoiling this a little bit, but it's just like yeah, get into Titans and fight, and then get out and do some wall running and like. It's good. It's like the best version of that stuff piled one on top of another for like two levels straight. 
And there is a sort of confidence in their action model, in their combat model, in both at the both the Titan and pilot scales, that is really refreshing after doing gimmick level, gimmick level, gimmick level. It's almost like getting to to a Bowser stage in Mario and be like, all right, just fucking get good at, at platforming, dog. Like, just be good at it. Um, and I keep going back to these Nintendo games or classic platformers because that, that's what this felt like to me. And maybe that's why I'm not as bummed by the lack of investment in their narrative and, and world and stuff. Um, also because I'm just always the person who fills in the gap. Like people who are, who are like deep cut Austin Walker fans know that the second season of friends at the table, which is my actual play podcast is literally built on someone on us mishearing something during a Titanfall one match. Uh, <laughs> one of my friends, Jack was like, Oh, do you mind if I drop in? And we all heard him say my divine drop in. And I was like, Oh shit. Divines are great names for giant robots. We do a podcast where we fight giant robots named Divines, <laughs> and that's it. Like, so like, we're all, I'm already that sort of person who's like, oh yeah, give me the flavor, and I'll fill in the gaps with what I want. Um, and and because just like I don't expect much to some degree, I guess. Uh, but that's so that's that's me rambling for tight. I haven't been this excited about just sitting down and playing through a game in a long time. So it's it's a good game. People should not ignore it. And and uh, it should I guess, be. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I I'm curious when I was uh, expressed on. Uh, on our our private uh, messaging chat, I was like, "Oh right, Call of Duty comes out well today." And when this podcast comes, out, I was like, "That game should be coming out like three weeks in my head." Right. Nope, it's coming no. out now. And this is what I now I understand why people have been uh, sort of rolling their eyes at at EA and and the timing of Titanfall two. Um, and then people responded with uh, a theory that I'll that I'll throw to you, uh, Austin, to see if you uh, agree with or not. But I guess. Uh, Gersman um, yeah. uh, over at Giant Bomb, if if you're not uh, familiar, uh, Jeff Gersman um, floated that uh, EA saw an opportunity with a weakened Call of Duty, and that Titanfall. Uh, it's why EA has been public in saying we're happy with Titanfall. We're gonna make another game, like that. They've been confident in saying like the series is going to continue in a certain way that is at odds with probably how the game will do financially or in terms of uh, uh, sort of a player base. Um, but the one-two punch of Titanfall 2 and Battlefield 1 is an opportunity for a weekend Call of Duty to kind of position them EA in a way that they have never been able to do in the past. And so that Titanfall 2 is essentially being sacrificed um, as, a, as a weapon to try and kind of disable Call of Duty. Yeah, I could see that. Um... I feel like that maybe gives them too much credit. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I could see, I could see it being a pivot. Then, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, of course we're gonna, and also that's just not a thing that you. That's not how you. As someone who's been in a lot of budget meetings in the last couple of months, <laughs> you don't go into a meeting like our plan is to be like weirdly subversive and undercut the established model and go after our rival by like sacrificing a ton of money on the on the. You know, you go in and say like we're gonna make the best thing that we can possibly make. We're gonna have, we're gonna do great numbers because people are excited for this style of of play. You know, this pairs really nicely with Battlefield One which is slower and, and more contemplative um, and like and history versus future and right exactly you know, history yeah, versus yeah, future and I'm sure that they also did sell the like yeah we can take down Call of Duty this is our chance we're going to make a better sci-fi shooter than they are or whatever um, but like no one was leaving those meetings like it doesn't matter how much money we make well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm completely wrong this is complete speculation and, and analysis but like that seems unlikely to me <laughs> uh, but it does seem like a smart pivot like then when, when those numbers hit having the person in place to be like, all right, well, here's why this is still valuable for us. And being able to make that case effectively and secure the funding for the next game is a good, that's, you need that person also. Uh, so I don't know. I, I hope, I hope it does. Okay. The, the player base on PC is really is not as large as I need it to be. Cause I can't like just jump into a map or like a, a last Titan standing, which is like my favorite mode. Just like, Oh, it's, it's 1am. No one is playing this mode on PC. That's how it felt on Titanfall one. At, like after three months, not like after a week of it being released on PC, I hear that PS4 is better. I might just switch back to PS4 at some point because there's a player base there. We'll see. Release Titanfall three in the spring, please, please just <laughs> let it have its own space and people will, will gravitate to, uh, towards it. Danielle, have you been playing anything else? Oh, I sure have. I'm yeah. excited. Uh, so just today, I sort of dipped my toe into Even the Ocean, which is Ooh. the second game from Analgesic Studios. They made one of my absolute favorite games of 2013, uh, which was Anodyne. Uh, in case you didn't play it, this is homework for anybody who has time. Give us homework. Yeah, homework is a recurring theme <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I figured. Uh, play Anodyne. It is 
in my opinion, one of the absolute best sort of 2D Zelda-style games uh, because it's it's not only like a really, really good little adventure-y, puzzle-y Zelda-style game, it also has a really awesome story. Huh. And I could not believe um, that it was actually made by students. Uh, I, th- I think... Um, Joni and Sean, who were a t- you know a two person team, they were students when they started that project. And as somebody who teaches game design, like student projects are usually not you know like game of the year material. Right. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, so this is their second game. This is a platformer, uh, and it kind of has their same general flow of things where it's like you know they took an older style of game, you know like the Zelda style before, and now a very you know, a platformer with a whole bunch of other sort of cool mechanics. There's an energy mechanic where you have to balance light and dark energy. One makes you jump higher. One makes you jump further, basically, cool. uh, which is very cool. But also with, like, a really cool resonant story and, like, a lot of good, you know, like the the protagonist is a non-binary person named Aleph. Uh, there's a lot of kind of little environmental messages in there. I just, it, like, when you pair all these elements together... A cool platformer with interesting mechanics. A cool story of, you know, inclusive uh, general worldview. It's it's kind of like Danielle, you know, <laughs> basically. Yes. Like, these are all things I really love. Uh, so I just dipped my toes in today. I, I've only played like half an hour, but it feels really good already. It's beautiful. Has great music. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Uh, it's not out yet. I think it comes out on the 16th. I believe, but I'm hoping to actually talk to those folks uh, pretty soon, sort of about their process and like, Rad. how the hell do you guys, <laughs> you know, make these amazing games uh, when you're really young and like still kind of growing as people and you're making these like wonderful things that are, in my opinion, better than a lot of stuff that's on the market. So yeah, really, really excited about that and excited to really dive in this weekend i'm gonna i'm gonna spend some hours in this game this weekend which i'm very excited about and then you also wrote a piece for us yeah. because news came out of Eurogamer, news that i think nintendo has already uh denied saying no more wii u's they're, they're done making they're done production producing new wii u's they're taking uh, everyone's wii u's back you have to take send it all back <laughs> obama's <No>. coming <laughs> My guns in your wii u <laughs> And your vape. Am I not my vape? No. Grover, Grover, Grover Norquist is right now tweeting about how Obama wants to take your Wii U's away. No. Yeah, no. Um, so I wrote a Wii eulogy, which was a good joke. Uh, I hope you like mm. that. I didn't. I don't. I've been reading that on this screen, Danielle, for. How long have we been recording? 20 minutes? Yeah. I have not been able to read. I didn't know what it... I didn't know. I didn't know what you I'm were really saying. I'm really glad I could bring that joy to your life, Austin. You said it out I just, I just striked it out in the doc. I just don't... <laughs> I don't want to see it anymore. Thank you. Uh, he, yep, he really actually did, folks. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the Wii U. Um, I've always been a Nintendo fan. You know, I grew up a Nintendo kid, the whole deal. And, you know, I've had my ups and downs with Nintendo, as I think everybody has. But with the Wii U, I... Really, really, really love that console. And I think a lot of people who have a Wii U probably do. There's just a lot of really, really incredibly strong games on there. And for years, and I still stand by this, uh, you know, on, on Idle Thumbs, I would say, like, look, if you don't have a ton of money for game consoles, the, the best possible spread, in my opinion, that you can have is a Wii U and, a, like, a decent PC. So you can play kind of most indie things on the PC. You can play most AAA things on the PC. And then you can play all these awesome Nintendo games, basically. Yes, you'd miss out on the Bloodborns and the Forzas, and that's not great. Like, that's not ideal. But I just what... A strong lineup of games. You had Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. You had Mario 3D World. You had Bayonetta 2, which I didn't play a ton of, to be honest. I just, uh, you know, Patrick throw did. that oh. in there. Oh, go back and play that Bayonetta 2. I know. I need to. I need to. That's why I'm so sad that they're taking away my Wii U. I'm very upset. <laughs> Obama! <laughs> no! No, Obama! Yeah. Uh, just, just so strong. And then Splatoon and... You know, not even just, I feel like this console didn't only have a lot of, like, really good, strong sort of, you know, the Marios and the Zeldas, which it certainly did, but it also had things like Splatoon and, of course, in Bayonetta 2 and something called, something that almost nobody played, but it was, like, a really cool indie game called Affordable Space Adventures, which was, oh, that like, game's a, cool. yeah, it was, like, a space team meets Metroid-ish kind of game, which was rad and, and kind of fun and awesome, so it had a lot of weird stuff, too, which made me very happy, and... In my opinion, again, uh, one of the best Fatal Frames ever, uh, because it had this sort of cool mechanic with, 
using the gamepad as a camera. Sort of, it was like a little ARG kind of element mm-hmm. to it, which was rad and awesome. And I wished more people kind of used that. So I am really sad about the Wii U being discontinued. I hope a lot of those awesome, amazing, like, you know, absolute top 10, you know, each year they came out games show up on the Switch um, or, you know, find life in some other way, uh, sort of in Nintendo's future. So I don't know. The Wii U is really, really good, man. I, I got to love that console. Yeah, it's, it has so many great games. And I think that's what makes me, uh, you know, some of the rumors about um, the the Switch is that they're going to repurpose a bunch of uh, Wii U titles and bring them back uh, on, on the Switch to kind of like both bolster the launch lineup and also probably as a recognition that there are a lot of Nintendo fans that yeah. maybe skipped the Wii U. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be an opportunity for, you know, games like Splatoon or, you know, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart. But I'm hoping that, you know, I would hope just on day one they f- find a way to just upload the whole Wii U library to whatever oh, you know yeah. digital eShop they have uh, because games like Mar- Mario 3D World is like one of the best platformers ever made yes. and yes. Uh, I love love that game and I uh, continue to have deep apologies to that game for uh, <laughs> kicking it off a game of the year list years ago. Oh, God. Um, Alex Navarro still brings it up to this day. It was why, actually, didn't you, why didn't you help him out? Why didn't you keep? keep it on it's, it, it was, was up to you it was sacrificed in order to ma- make sure that my game of the year that year papers please got on our overall top 10 list and so oh. i thought the recognition for papers please was more important than mario 3d uh world getting on a list um in which uh, of course mario 3d world right. was a great game so but then you also just said it was one of the best platformers of all time yeah yeah so. i think i think that's true um, so, you know, whatever I, I, you know, I will continue to feel guilty about that. This is me. I'm, 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 I'm expressing my guilt and sweating about it right now. We all carry um, our own, our own crosses. Three years know? later or two years later, whatever it was. Uh, but yeah, there are just a tremendous amount of great games on the Wii U. So I, I you know, I don't, if you end up getting a switch, like it seems like a lot of people kind of skipped that generation with Nintendo. Um, th- there's just, uh, just a, an incredible amount, probably the most concentrated, uh, lineup of fantastic first-party games. I think, uh, as you said, Danielle, since the Dreamcast, yes. and I'm not sure it'll quite be remembered in the same way uh, because the Dreamcast was a really unique thing that also marked the end of Sega as a yeah. hardware manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it's in that realm of a machine that almost nobody bought, but has just a tremendous lineup of amazing video games. Totally. What uh, what would you give Mario 3D World if you had to if you had to, if you had to review it? What sort of score would you give? <laughs> I did review it. What did for you Polygon, give it? Polygon, actually. I think we gave it a nine. Would that number be the same or different if you had to like rush through it because you got it on release day and had to play <laughs> through it quickly <laughs> to turn around a relevant review? <gasps> oh dear lord! Yeah, um, I mean that certainly has happened at times in my life, but not with totally. that game. And it might happen more now that Bethesda is is maybe setting a oh, precedent. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Which is which is that they have decided to stop sending games before their public release. Um, which, if you are in the games press, is is maybe more news than if you're. I don't know. I feel like you should care about this if you like games. If you're the sort of person who would listen to this podcast, you should you should give a fuck about this. So I'm just going to read uh, the. I think this comes from Gary Steinman, global content lead over at Bethesda. Uh, he writes. He used to work in the press. That's right. <laughs> important. Yeah, that's worth Im- noting. Yeah. Important. Yeah. Bethesda and game reviews. At Bethesda, we value media reviews. We read them. We watch them. We try to learn from them when they criti- when they offer critique, and we understand their value to our players. Earlier this year, we released Doom. We sent review copies to arrive the day before launch, which led to speculation about the quality of the game. Since then, Doom emerged as a critical and commercial hit and is now one of the highest-rated shooters of the past few years. With the upcoming launches of Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored 2, we will continue our policy of sending media review copies one day before release. Uh, while we while we will continue to work with media, media streamers and YouTubers to support their coverage... Both before and after the release, we want everyone, including those in the media, to experience our games at the same time. We also understand that some of you want to read reviews before you make your decision, and if that's the case, we encourage you to wait for your favorite reviewers to share their thoughts. Skyrim Special Edition, blah, 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 releases, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Man. There's no way that you can write, we value media reviews, and then say, we're doing everything in our power to prevent them from happening to inform (laughs) consumers ahead of release 
And like, then those are just contradictory viewpoints. Yeah. yeah. They put they but they put that there. Like this is a very I will say I'll give them credit. A very well worded uh, way of spinning <laughs> something that is anti consumer in you know every uh, from every angle. You know I, I think. Uh, I can understand uh, some people kind of rolling their eyes at how much discussion it gets because it's it, like you said, it's a very it's media centric yeah, story. It's very which, inside baseball, I think, in some ways. Yeah, and so like the media loves to talk about the media, and I, I do. I've really tried over the years to scale that back in a way that uh, it tries to be reasonable because it's so easy to fall into that. But the thing is, like the stuff that happens at the inside baseball le- uh, level is what is how the World Series gets determined, right? Like that's the thing that always bugs me about the sort. Of- When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Like, uh, this talk is too, is, is, you know, uh, too jargony or too, too, um, just for the elites inside of this space is like, oh, but like, you're going to see the effect of this a year from now. You know, you're going to see the effect of this next week when Dishonored 2 comes out or the week after that, whenever that is. Like, that we're immediately going to see an effect on, on this. Danielle, though, I'm really curious about, about your perspective because you were just a reviews editor. Like, that was your yeah. job at Zam. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I was a reviews editor. Um, yeah, and, you know, when I was at Polygon, my first primary job there was just reviews. Only reviews, all the time, reviews. So, yeah, I, I have very, very strong feelings about this. And I think they mirror... Uh, both of yours, honestly, that this this just sucks for the press. And I think it's going to suck for, you know, for folks who want to get the game early. Like, you know, players, passionate players are the kind of folks who want all the information possible. They want all that information immediately. They want that information before they go line up at midnight for something. Midnight launches are still a thing for a lot of people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this also this also sort of highlights something uh, that is that is a little weird, and it's not something we talk about all the time. But there is a massive divide uh, in sort of like who gets attention and who is you know allowed to have early code. There's there's a certain uh, there's a certain pecking order certainly uh, with sites and with now with you know YouTubers and influencers and whatever term you kind of want to give to people who are giving early coverage to a game. And it sounds like Bethesda's like, well, we don't even you know pecking order everybody's a everybody's at the bottom now you know they're kind of having this moment of like i'm the king and i will only throw you the scraps when uh you know when i feel it, i deem it necessary well the thing there too is it doesn't seem to be the actual case because there have been streamers and youtubers yeah. playing their games ahead of launch yeah it looks like they're like we're democratizing this but really they're just picking their favorites and kind of leaving the press especially press who might be you know, more critical or more kind of gut reaction honest about certain things, which I, I, I like to think uh, the folks here at this website and at m- sort of most sites yep. are, you know, pretty honest about their gut reactions to a game. Uh, so it, it really feels a little slimy. Uh, yeah, I think about something like Fallout 4, which is a game that I actually like more than most people. Like, I, I, saying the words Fallout 4 make me want to, like, go play the DLC for Fallout 4 that I haven't played yet. Nice. But... When that game launched, it was in a sorry state on console. I, I, I'm actually not sure how well the patches have, have boosted that, um, or if like the Xbox One S and and the forthcoming PS4 Pro will will enhance uh, those those game or that game in, in any meaningful way. Um, but like knowing that before you make a purchasing decision is really important, uh, and that's the sort of stuff that is not going to get you know like brought to the forefront through streamers and YouTubers. Um, especially when so often there is the case, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is what happened in Fallout 4, uh, but, but often streamers get their footage from press events. They go to a press event, they're flown to a press event, they're given footage, they, you know, they, they play on like a really powerful PC, they're given the footage that they, that, you know, of their gameplay session that then they get to bring home um, on, on YouTube. That happens 
like all the time. And so like anytime that you give up that little bit of control over how you're playing it, you end up losing control over what your experience is and whether or not your experience matches what the player at home does. Um, and I can, ima- I can so easily imagine like going to a press event for, uh, for Fallout 5, having a great time with it, writing my review. You know, we don't do reviews here, obviously. I, we'll come back to that in a second. But like, <laughs> I could imagine being in that position where I have to write a review, write a, a glowing review, and then like wait until you know, launch day to hit publish so I can make sure the console versions match up and then be like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> this this is, a mess. is a mess. Yeah. This is a mess. Um, and, well, and that would be tough. With the Bethesda game specifically, too, uh, I remember when uh, we did Game of the Year uh, uh, Giant Bomb for, uh, and we gave it to Skyrim, um, and we gave it to Skyrim on PC and Xbox, but not PS3. Like, we made a specific <laughs> caveat in the Game of the Year award, um, which, you know, I, you, I guess you could argue is uh, sort of parsing hairs, but for us, it was important because the PlayStation 3 version uh, to this day had fundamental technical issues that prevented people from continuing their saves. It had glitches that stacked and got worse over time and were never meaningfully addressed uh, in a way that made it uh, the experience that people on other platforms got. And that's something that sure was, you know, kind of found out over the long tail, but those sort of technical issues are sometimes discovered in that process ahead of time that is only discovered through Lots and lots of people playing a game ahead of release and discovering uh, those issues. And so um, Bethesda games in particular are, are known for being glitchy. The Skyrim Special Edition that came out yep. uh, has all sorts of problems and specifically had console issues that have been patched multiple times. And maybe that wouldn't have prevented people from buying the game. Like, I, you know, I think there are lots of people that... Uh, and Bethesda may be one of them because they consistently put out excellent games in that the reviews don't necessarily matter to you. But just because they don't matter to you doesn't mean they don't matter to sort of the general ecosystem. And you should be wary of publishers picking and choosing um, the outlets that cover their games, especially when we don't un- we don't know the contracts that are signed by folks on Twitch and YouTube. And uh, there has been evidence in the past that publishers will demand that the coverage that comes out does not so bugs, does not so glitches, um, has to be positive in nature. Um, and that's not to say that Bethesda is doing those, but we don't know. And that lack of knowledge, um, when, when you know at least with the press copies that you are just essentially signing an embargo uh, uh, that prevents you from talking about it to a specific time and maybe prevents certain story beats um, from being discussed. Um, that's something different. And yep. uh, it, it's an erosion of control that even if you don't care about game reviews, even if you think the press um, is, is, is complaining about this in a way that is hyperbolic, you should be concerned with the larger movement of of seeding control um in terms of what you understand about a game like you no longer get demos you you know you no longer are going to get reviews ahead of time uh that are meaningful or those reviews that do come out within 24 hours are rushed to the point that they're not going to be able to meaningfully tell you very much about that experience so it's sort of the larger movement more so than this specific incident that is uh not necessarily headed in a direction that gives consumers uh, more power, especially if you're on consoles, at least on Steam. At least on Steam, you can get a refund if something goes really, really wrong. And and Steam uh, and Valve, to their credit, has been uh, very lenient on that, sometimes too lenient. But in a world <laughs> yeah. in which the, 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 the publishers are getting more and more control, that's probably the better policy is to be a little too lenient uh, in, in that direction on giving people more autonomy on their refunds because you can't do that on a console. You are stuck with that that purchase uh, once you've got it. That's not explicitly true. It is possible to get like refunds through Xbox and PSN, but it is far less common or encouraged in the way that it is on Steam. Do you think it is a – is this a sign of the times? Is this a precedent being set? Or – do you think that this is an outlier? Um, and I guess a, a corollary to that, like, are we, you know, it, are we going to see more things like what we're trying to do, which is to move away from day and date traditional reviews and see more sites move towards 
um, a broader sense of criticism, uh, you know, hands-on impressions that, that go up on day one, but not necessarily comprehensive reviews. Uh, and I kind of just general move away from, or not a move away from, because I think that that stuff will stick around. Like IGN isn't going to stop writing reviews anytime soon. But I'm curious if, if either of you think that there will be more sites that try to move into this other secondary space, uh, which is about like criticism and interviews and, and reporting and like digging into weird stories that pop out of the culture of, of a game after it, after it releases um, as a way of, of insulating themselves from needing to, to from, from this change. I think, I think yes, and I hope so. <laughs> I think on the first question, it's definitely a yes. I think yeah. more big, you know, larger companies are going to say, wait, we can we can control the conversation more? We can control <laughs> the conversation about our product and make it look even better and maybe squeeze some more dollars out of this? Like, I, I'm really legitimately afraid that more publishers are going to go in this direction with like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, this is this is to make everything more fair. And then, you know, of course it's not. Uh, and I I want <laughs> there to be more criticism. I want there to be, uh, you know, a, a trail leading away from the sort of product cycle. I mean, you know, that was one of the things I was most excited about sort of coming here, even as a former reviews editor. Right. I, I love reviews. I love doing reviews as criticism and less as sort of product reviews. But but man, it's just it's a it's a it's a For the hard record, world right now. I don't think any of us think there shouldn't be product reviews either, right? Sure, like, sure. I think lots of people were served by Jeff Gerstmann's review of Fallout Three that or Fallout Four that was like, "Yo, this is fucked up on consoles." Like, <laughs> it's good, <all> broken. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that there, I think that we would like that a lot. But I guess you, the, the actual question is like, is that actually going to happen, or is the result of all this just worse reviews, just people rushing to get reviews out? Well, it's just reviews drive traffic, and yeah. they continue to drive traffic. Uh, the scores drive traffic. Like none of that's going away. Like the the rosy uh, picture of of oh, well, this just lead to folks doubling down on criticism and, and post release coverage, and and essentially you know the, uh, us trying to build that at waypoint and making sure that's you know a financial success so that we can continue uh, doing that because that's what interests us. Um, that's a much harder route to go, and that's a much more long-term uh, route in terms of building a business around yeah, that Yeah, especially right now. if you've already built a business around day-and-date reviews. Yeah, yeah, and that's where people go to your site for. It's useful for – you know, it's easy to forget how small the crowd that we are all talking about is, right? Like the NeoGAF, like hyper – like connected to everything that's happening in video games. It is reading an announcement like this and cares about it. Like <laughs> for the vast majority of people, they go to IGN or GameSpot and – or, or some other website that they've landed on and gone there for 10 years, and they just want to see if that game's good. And right. that's fine. Like, that should exist. Um, and uh, I don't think... I, IGN's not going to suddenly... And there's great... So there's some great writers at IGN doing great work. Like, I, I don't mean to, to denigrate yep. uh, any of the Agreed stuff happening completely. at those websites. But, you know, their core business model is not built around that. It's more that their core business model allows that other stuff uh, to happen. Um, and that's not going to change. Um, and, and I don't see how this makes that easier or... If, if for, for publications that want to keep doing that, you know, the, the worrisome idea is that they yeah. are then forced to uh, work more closely with those publishers in order to get that access. Got to play ball. Ac- yeah, and if that access comes with um, a less critical eye, you know, that's, that's better for publishers and, and worse for uh, consumers. Um, and that's not to say either of those – again, don't, I'm not saying either of those sites are going to do that or nope. that the, the cynical view that IGN and GameSpot would, would, would play in that. It's just that it opens the door to things like that uh, in a way that – uh, is is dispiriting because the, you know imagine that you are someone at the the kind of like high level managing editor you know deputy editor editor in chief level and you know that if you have a really strong like review of the game if you have an exclusive review of a game before it releases you're going to get a lot of traffic and that traffic is going to help you when you go into the office and make the case that you get to go do the big 12 part documentary series that your great documentarian has been pitching you for the last two years. Um, and then the deal comes across the table that isn't like, oh, it has to be a good review. No one would fuck with that. Like, no one has has that little integrity. I, I hope in in our industry. I really do believe that. Um, but but it could be, oh, just like come through and we'll give you an exclusive preview. But we need we need just final. We just need to see it before it goes live. We just need to we just need to have a cut of it before it goes live. The preview. That's all we want to do is make sure that it's factually accurate. And like suddenly there is this moment of secession of editorial control 
And those sorts of things are how stuff like this ends up going. And again, I'm not, this is not an accusation. This is not a a specific call out or anything like that. But like, those are the sorts of of, uh, instances that you can conceive of happening more than Bethesda or any other publisher pays somebody to give them a good review. It's just like, get chummy with them, give them a little bit more, give them some editorial control over, over preview events, you know, and, and maybe run, you know, a a more and more exclusive trailer like that. Those are the sorts of things that end up coming with, Oh, that's how you get review access. And that's not a good world to, to be trying to give, you know, people good reviews in. So one thing I do definitely see happening uh, in the future, and this, this was already sort of a thing that was happening in my previous position is the sort of review impressions piece you know, you get the code on day one, and then, you know, you play two hours of it or whatever, and then rush to get something up. And that's not like a great, it's not always the best piece necessarily, but it's at least like, well, we got that review traffic and, uh, you know, we, we did what we could with it. So I, I'm, yeah, it's not a great future in, in a lot of respects, sadly. <sighs> well, with that, I think it's time to turn to the old bucket. <laughs> oh. Bucket Get time. Bucket. Save us. Dear Save bucket. bucket. Dear, Dear bucket. bucket. <laughs> I'm going to reach into you and, and I'm going to find something good. Danielle, I need a number mm-hmm. from 1 40, to 33. 1 to 33? I'm 32 years old. Let's do 32. Hey, okay. well, there you go. That worked. <laughs> Definitive. Um, I normally write a little thing here that's like, here's a summary of this thing. I didn't do that for this one, but I, I see which question this is. We're good. Uh I saw Austin tweeting about The Crew being featured on Uplay as a free game this month. This was like a month or two ago. And by extension, I was turned on to his old live stream with Janine Hawkins where they set out across their wor- a road trip o- across the Bizarro USA featured in the game. I was really intrigued by the rule set that you guys used uh, that you insisted on trying to stick to. Following traffic rules and speed limits, kind of. Pulling over when confronted by police. <laughs> pulling over to enjoy scenery along the way, etc. As time went on, I, when I watched more of the stream, it was clear that the limitations of these rules allowed some fantastic moments to surface, and even in a roundabout way, some world building for this fictionalized U.S. where Austin and Janine would theorize about the backstories of recurring brands like the Ur Bakery and D Ribs. <laughs> the brands and the crew are really fucking good. There's a fake subway <laughs> called Ur Bakery, like the original bakery or something. It's so nice. good. It's like a, it's the best. Um, that game is terrible, but it's it's or riff on the state of the severely compressed cities and landmarks. I'm I'm also reminded of Austin's watchdog watchdog experience that he outlined in the Beast Cast, where he played as much of a pacifist as possible in a game where that wasn't always expressly possible, which I'm sure turned uh, turned out its own fair share of anecdotes. It did. There's a whole article about it over at Pace. Um, my question is. Do you often find yourself self-imposing these kinds of rules that circumvent the face value purpose of the game you're playing? Is it a role-playing light exercise to wring enjoyment out of games you don't like, or is it just a coincidence that I'm thinking of your experience with two or stellar Ubisoft properties? I didn't realize that both Watch Dogs and the crew were, of course, Ubisoft games, and I did the same thing in both of them. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think I do this a lot with games. It's like, Oh, here's the thing the game wants me to do. What's like the weird variation on it that I can that I can toss into the mix to to shape it a little bit more in my direction? Yeah, this is something I do a lot, and and weirdly, and I don't know if this is also sort of weirdly relevant, especially with the crew. But I I tend to do this in games that aren't as interesting to me in the first place. Like I'll I'll tend to be like, you know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to see if I can mess with this in a particular way, like in a, in a racing game, in a not great racing game, well, you know, like something like The Crew. Or I'll try to find, you know, any game that's sort of set in San Francisco, I'll try to find, right. like, places I know. Like, I'll, I'll actually try to find, like, oh, I lived in this apartment, or, you know, my friend over here lived in this apartment. I'll do, like, a tour, something weird like that. Games where I might not be super, super into the sort of surface level of it, but, like... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my own fun with this, and and I've been searching actually for a term that that <laughs> encompasses this, especially because Patrick wrote an awesome story uh, yesterday actually about uh, somebody who played Fallout for 750 hours, and he went and found every single place in the game, and like that was his fun. That was how he made his own fun out of that game. And I really want to like I want a term. I want to like a you know self structured play or, or you know something that's actually like concise that actually makes this this whole world kind of like puts it under an umbrella so if you if you have one of those you should tweet us yeah those questions patrick do you ever uh do weird things like this outside of like oh i'm not going to kill anybody in deus ex so i think that that counts right 
A little bit. I mean, so I'd say like the what I I really I don't end up using achievements or trophies and things like that very much. Um, yeah. they, they don't really drive a lot of what I play. But I I like when my favorite kind of achievement or trophy are in the same way that Titanfall's two's collectibles, uh, which encourage you to play the game slightly skewed or mm-hmm. to apply the mechanics in a way that uh, use what you what you know and what you've learned, but in in, in a different way. Like uh, Spelunky is a great example of this, where um, you know I spent forty plus hours making my way through that game and conquering hell uh, for the first time. Um, sort of the secret area of that game that requires playing sort of a meta game on top of the game you're quote unquote already playing. Um, and uh, once I'd done that, I was like, "Well, I'm, I still want to play this game, but I've ostensibly done the." sort of objective like there's still plenty of you know variations the randomization that happens when you play that game over and over again but if you want to think of it as like a beating the game i'd done that and so things like speed lunky um in which you have to beat the game uh in i think under three minutes or five right. minutes it's, it's an absurd amount of time yeah. uh, in which you essentially have to continue holding right or left and going immediately for the exit um in order to to hit that that was me applying a lot of what i learned in a in a different capacity. So it's like I was still playing Spelunky, but in a way that was slightly, you know, 30 degrees to the right. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I managed to do uh, Speed Lunky on both, I think, PC and, and Vita um, when, I was, when I was sort of obsessed with that game at, at my height. And uh, I, I enjoy when designers can find ways to encourage you to do that. I don't end up doing it a lot on my own. I think that kind of calls back to similar things I've said in the past where like, I'm not really into Minecraft because right, you have to right. come up with your own play. Like I haven't done a lot of role-playing because I don't have a lot of uh, history with that. And so uh, I I often need a little push in a direction. So it's not that I'm not willing to to play it differently than what it is the prescribed path is, but I, I appreciate when the, it's kind of set down in front of you and said, why don't you go try this? And then maybe I'll take it from there. Um, but, but often I need a little push in one direction. And those pushes can be like, the, the, one of the things is like a good uh, game development team or a good designer can see what those good pushes are um, so that like, oh, okay, like the, Spelunky, the speed lunky thing is, is great. But that only works because it was an achievable time, but still a difficult time to reach, right? Like, if it had been five minutes instead of three minutes, that maybe would have gotten some enjoyment out of you, but you probably would have, like, rushed through it way quicker. Um, Or if it had been two minutes, you might have just been like, it's impossible. I'm never going to, no one's going to do this. What are you talking about? No, I'm not going to do it. And so being able to find that sweet spot with uh, an achievement or with a suggestion even, like, can can really help out. You know, like, so when I did Watch Dogs and didn't, didn't kill anybody, it's not true that I didn't kill anybody. It was just like the last possible resort should be I use a gun. And so I killed three people total. One was by hitting them with a car by, by accident. One was because, like, a security <laughs> guard rushed up on me. And one was because... In the moment, the way the procedural generation shook out, it felt like I'd witnessed a hate crime and just got really mad. Um, I, I wrote about that again over at Paste years ago. Um, that you should find that article. It's called uh, it's called Real Human Beings. Um, so so give that a read. Uh, I'm gonna just take one more one more super 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 quick question, which we get can I, from. Can I make one final point on? Oh that? yeah, please definitely. Uh, my my last final point, and I will make this super quick, is that I. One of the coolest things I think about streaming is that it actually encourages those kinds of, you know, weird rules or weird kind of new ways to play where people will be like, oh, my God, have you seen X, Y, or Z? And then you actually go and you're like, oh, my God, yes. And there's this sort of collaborative, almost improv sense of sort of playing with a community as well as sure. sort of what you're doing. Totally. That stuff, that stuff is great. Uh, you know, especially I like that a lot in big uh, games where whole styles of play will emerge of like... Uh, in Guild Wars 2, there was this thing for a while called like The Train, which was Guild Wars 2 is this big MMO, and it's a big open world, obviously, and there were like events happening around the open world because the game is actually built around these kind of interlocking events happening, where it's like, oh, if the cattle rustlers go to the, go to the uh, farm and, and win an event there because no one is there protecting the farm, then the cows all flee the farm, and when the cows all flee the farm, they run into this other, they run into the centaurs, and the centaurs kill the cows, and eat the cows and they get stronger and then the centaurs have the strength to go raid the human villa or you know whatever yeah. um and and so there was a thing called the train which bounced from the biggest of these events and it was just like 
you know, a hundred players together just running from event to event, which is a really cool thing. That's right. Um, and that wasn't designed that way. It was just like a thing that people figured out. Yeah. Uh, so the question I think we get the most still is why the fuck haven't we renamed this podcast? <laughs> Welcome to Vice Gaming's new podcast. <laughs> Episode... Twelve, eleven, and twelve. We're yeah, we're several months into this. Uh, and, and welcome to, to Vice Gamers New Podcast. Uh, your home for gaming on Vice Waypoint. <laughs> Just like, what are we fucking doing? What's happening? There you That's, go. I mean, it's a great. Uh, yeah, we're we've struggled with, uh, you know, like we've thought about things like. The Waypoint podcast, but we feel that's maybe uh, too all-encompassing, especially when we have a UK podcast, and this is twice weekly. So uh, we don't – and then every word we've tried to come up with or phrase uh, just hasn't – nothing's really landed the way stuff like Waypoint did for us. Yeah. In, uh, or rather, I should say – no, that is incorrect. There are, there, are, there are two different names that we really, really <laughs> like and would have no problem using – but uh, neither of them uh, appear to be attainable in terms of uh, various copyright uh, infringements. Yes. Yeah. So, like, we we do have two names, and they're awesome. They're rad. And, and maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about them once we've landed on one, um, uh, or, or you know, I guess what we end up compromising on one. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we're talking about it because we're hoping. Uh, maybe I don't know. One last ditch effort that if people have some ideas that we can kind of rail around because we've looked yeah. at a ton of the sources and just uh, nothing's quite. Hitting the way we're trying like there's something in there's something in like the something about frequency something about because it happens twice a week there's something about like i don't know like dialogue discourse communication like all those words are like in the the you know the ballpark but they're not like they're not like waypoint which evokes something the ones that are like sticking out to me one is digital pyramid shout out to chief keith (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. we're not going to name it digital pyramids but but it's it's Welcome tempting. to the digital pyramid. It's Welcome so tempting. It. Yeah. Um, I kind of like point to point. I I'm just saying these now. Just yeah, I yeah, should yeah, say yeah. these out loud, but I should. But I'm gonna. I'm it's gonna. We, we, we've run out of other options because also like <laughs> there are people at Vice who are like, "Hey, pick a name for your fucking hey, podcast." Name. We're trying to sell ads on this thing. We can't just call Voice Gaming's new podcast. That's not how you sell ads. Uh, <laughs> That's not what they sound like. They sound they're nice people who let us use yeah. their N64 games for this exactly, yeah. stream. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I kind of like point to point. I kind of like like the Waypoint cast or the you know Waypoint podcast is probably okay. You, I think you pat you shouted out like the Waypod, but I don't like Waycast, that cast. Yeah, the Waycast. I mean like Waycast. it's just it yeah it doesn't mm. something with like rendezvous something with like that's a little that's a little too yeah that's a um, little saucy yeah it's a, it's a little yeah it's a little saucy exactly welcome <laughs> to Waypoint. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Waypoint, the saucy website. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. Like, a lot of the suggestions people send in are just, like, a little too on the nose with gaming. Right. Um, which is, like, or or they already exist. Like, Critical Path, there are already two Critical Path podcasts. Um, so keep sending your submissions into us, both through Twitter and through email. You can reach us at gaming at vice.com. That's not changing. That will remain our, our open email address. Uh, use the use the subject questions uh, or questions and a name or something, uh, and we'll definitely see that. Uh, oh, I should point out, because um, this has come up for, for people a couple of times, uh, when we change yes. the name, uh, you will not have to do anything to continue listening to this. The, 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 the feed itself will continue to always be some variation of Vice Gaming's new podcast because that's what happens when you commit to an RSS feed. Yep. Um, so you don't have to touch anything. Like the name will change. The art will change. If you're subscribed on iTunes, if you're subscribed on uh, Overcast or any other, a number of uh, different uh, podcast apps or if you're through Google Play or Stitcher or uh, any of that stuff, but you, you, should, you will not have to do anything, anything. different. It'll yep. just switch over on its own. It's like this is different than what happened the first time where we switched podcast hosts that, um, in which people did have to change how they were subscribed. Um, but uh, this will continue over. Don't worry about it. Um, uh, you, you won't have to change anything when that switch happens. Exactly. And so you can also just tell us some suggestions over on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Patrick, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, Patrick Klubik and on Facebook over at uh, P. Klubik. What about you, Danielle? You can find me at Danielle R.I., which works for Riendo and Rhode Island, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, actually, Danielle Riendo Writer is my cool Facebook page. I can't yeah. believe you got Writer. God. 
I'm so happy. Uh, well, there's not that many Danielle Randos, and they're mostly runners, which is actually kind of cool. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. You, and you didn't want to get Danielle Riendo runner and then sell it to one of them? Oh, I should have. See, that's where you Damn make it. that. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah. Because <laughs> I said I'm so good at naming things, Austin. It's true, except for this <laughs> fucking podcast, apparently. <laughs> um, you can also find us on Twitter at Waypoint, also on Facebook at Waypoint Vice, Waypoint by Vice, I believe is, is what it is on Facebook. Uh, so, so go there and tell us what to name our podcast. Give us new ideas. <laughs> Give us new, different ideas. Check. Check to see if someone else has already said discourse or content <laughs> or, or, again, critical path or radar or open world or map generation or I don't I know. Cartographer. Yeah. Cartographer. Like, uh, uh, this is, I, I shouldn't have brought this up because I'm depressed that we don't have a better name for our podcast. <laughs> God damn it. This is not the, this is, I have some grievances about this. I'm going to move on. We're going <laughs> to say goodbye to people who I like, like Tim Barnes, who's the producer on the podcast, to Mitch Racken, who's our engineer normally, but who's not here today because I'm doing this from home. Shout outs to Mitch anyway. Shout outs to Bowen, who lets us use his track, Miss You, uh, from his EP, Pale Machine. You can go to B-O-E-N-Y-E-A-H on Twitter and, and get more info on him there. Just, ugh, ugh, I'm in a bad mood now. We have to figure out this fucking name. <laughs> Damn it. Now it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'll see you on Monday. How, you know what? Uh, let me bring it back. Whew, okay. Everyone, Deep breath. Deep breath, we can, Austin. We can all sleep in tomorrow. Yes. We made it. Like we We're made it through the 72 hours last week, but then we had to do a week of work. <laughs> <laughs> we made it to the weekend. Tonight we can sleep in. Or tomorrow morning we can sleep in. Tomorrow we sleep Everyone have a good weekend. We love you. Peace. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.